Hey, I'm Mitchell Holmes, and I am the Children's Director at our Waterford location. Thank you so much for checking out this message. We're glad you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting the word River Connect to 97000. That's River Connect, all one word, to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you'd like to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click on the giving tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. my mic on there we go Uh, if you have your bibles go ahead and open to colossians colossians chapter 3 we've been walking through our series in the book of colossians really paul's letter to uh, a fairly new church there were some mature believers there as well as they were getting started but paul is writing this letter to help them understand what their purpose is what what they are to strive for And we link this very much with our own vision of the River Church when we talk about the the Great Commission, what God himself asked his disciples, what Jesus himself asked his disciples to go do, to go out into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do, right? So this is where we get the Great Commission, and Paul is affirming everything that Jesus says. He's not saying anything different. And we're walking through this letter that Paul lays down for the Colossians and he, he roots them in this very vision. Hey, what is it that makes God happy with you? What pleases him? We see in chapter 1, Paul writing down the summary of this entire letter. He says, hey, listen, my will, what I pray for is that I want you to know what God's will is in for your life. Guess what? We all have a purpose for God. Each and every one of us, right? And so we want to know God's will as his disciples. And Paul says this and he lays this out in the first chapter. He also prays and asks that they would grow spiritually, with spiritual wisdom and spiritual knowledge. And he's praying that they would understand spiritual things more so than they are swayed from earthly things. And we'll get into this a little bit in this chapter, in chapter 3. He desires and he prays that they would walk in a manner that is worthy. He prays and he asks that they would bear fruit in every good work, both individually and corporately. That means that they are growing in, in bearing fruit individually and they, we as a collective group of disciples are also growing and bearing fruit corporately. He continues and he prays and he says, I increase, he, he wants the, them to increase in their love and their knowledge of who God is. That they grow in their relationship with him. And ultimately, as we said, the summary of it all is that they would know what is fully pleasing to God, Right? How many of you want to know what's fully pleasing to God? I know I do, right? Like that's something we need to know and we need to be very astute to and keen on and not lose sight of. And so Paul walks us through last week. We looked in chapter 2, what the gospel is not versus what the gospel is, right? Very clearly, Paul lays down the foundation of reach, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be in a relationship with a person, not a religion, we can summarize and look at what Paul laid down. First and foremost, the gospel is not a delusion. It's not something that makes us, we're not following something that is fake, shallow, hollow, or empty. We're following something that is much more, much more powerful than anything that is a delusion. 
Chapter 2, he says, it's not a delusion, it's not hollow, it's not shallow, it's not a lie. It's not made up of human precepts or human traditions. It's not a self-made religion or a man-made religion. And Paul walked with us in chapter 2 very clearly what the gospel is. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. It's a free gift. And that doesn't mean just because it's free that it's a cheap gift. We sang about the blood of Jesus on the cross earlier this morning. It's not a cheap free gift. It's a very expensive, valuable, incredibly valuable gift that God gave to us in his son, Jesus. So we see Paul laying through the foundation in chapter 2, the work that Jesus did on the cross. He made us alive together with Christ. We saw this in the picture of baptism. He forgives us our trespasses, our sin. He cancels our record of debt. The debt of sin against the holy God. See, that's the major, major crux between a false gospel and the true gospel. The false gospel doesn't give us ever an answer for this problem we have, which is called sin. The true gospel not only gives us the solution, but he gave us the remedy and the victory, and his name is Jesus, right? And that's what we walked through last week as we went through understanding the gospel, what it means to go and reach the lost and and then share the gospel with them. I love that Paul lays that down as basically the foundation for what it is that pleases God. And so today we're going to walk through a little bit of what gathering looks like, why we get together as believers. And I think Paul does a fantastic job laying down for us in in chapter 3 some of the principles, the things that we need to stay focused on as believers, as disciples, why it is we get together every week, sometimes more than once a week, and what that priority is all about. He points us to what, what in fact our identity rooted in all of that is. He focuses us into the priority of things that we need to really be focused on. As we reflect his character and his behavior. So as we, before we get into the chapter, let's just uh, go again to the Lord and ask for him to lead us, to guide us. Not just me, but you and your hearts, whatever you need to hear. I don't know everybody's circumstance or condition, but I pray that whatever is spoken from God's word today is exactly what you need to hear. So let's go to the Lord and ask his spirit to move in our lives. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so glad that we get to come together. Lord, we can come here freely without persecution, without anybody really bothering us, Lord, we can come and worship you and praise your name. And so, Lord, we are very blessed as a people to be able to do that. Lord, I pray this morning as we gather this morning that the priorities of your word would be so much a part of our life. Lord, help us to see your words very clearly and apply them to our lives day to day, day in and day out. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to begin, I've broken this, we're going to be reading Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 13. And normally I read the text and then we go back and look at it. Today I'm going to do it a little different. We're going to just start by reading the text and I'm going to start breaking it out as we read it, if that's okay. So I'm going to begin chapter 3, verse 1. The very first thing that Paul points the church to when he's talking about and as he's trying to help these early church believers understand their identity. He says this in verse 1, if then... You have been raised with Christ. This is in in direct correlation to what he laid down as the foundation of the gospel in chapter 2. He talks about this picture of baptism and he says, listen, when you're baptized, you die to yourself. 
And then when you are raised from the water, when you come out, it's a picture of you walking in newness of life in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, hey, listen, if in fact that's where your heart's at and that you, you believe that, you have received the gospel, if you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says again, a second time, set your minds on things that are above. In contrast to things that are above, he says, not on things that are on the earth. Verse 3, he says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in him in glory. You see, in these first four verses, I see Paul drawing everybody's attention to why it is we gather together. What our identity is as a group of believers in a community. I don't know if you can see, it's super clear to me. But he's pointing us to that that the reason we gather together isn't because we all like non-denominational organizations. As a, as a, it's not like we all are non-denominational. Some of us have different backgrounds. Some of us come from Protestant backgrounds, uh, Methodist backgrounds. Some of us have Nazarene backgrounds. We all have these different uh, Baptist backgrounds, right? We have all of these things. So we don't just come in, hey, you know what? I really don't want to really be claimed to any identity. So I'm just going to say I'm non-denominational. Now that might be true, you might like the fact that there's no particular denominational idea behind the River Church, but that's not why we gather together like, oh man, I'm going to make sure I only go to a non-denominational church. Because whether you like it or not, non-denominationalism is also a denomination. It's just the reality of it. So what is Paul drawing their attention to? He says, we're not gathering together because we like I'm going to say this, and hopefully I don't offend anybody. Because the the room is blue. Go blue. (laughs) Right? We don't gather together because, hey, the pews are blue, the carpet's blue, and I like blue. Go blue. Right? That's not why we get together. If you're a state fan, I don't mean to offend you. That's not what I'm saying. But we don't gather together because we all like the same sports team. We don't gather together because we are all of the same age group, the same demographic. We have the same background. We have the same cultural No, that's not why we gather together. Many of us come from different backgrounds. Many of us have different ethnic backgrounds. That's awesome. Why do we gather together? Paul points it very clearly. Hey, what is your identity as a group of believers? It isn't about the name the River Church. It really isn't. We don't gather together because, oh man, that's a really cool name. I like their marketing program. Not even close. That's not why we gather together. Paul points to us in these first four verses what, in fact, our identity is. What brings us together, no matter what our age group, no matter what our demographic, no matter what our previous or past experience, no matter how old we are, how rich, how poor we are, Paul says, your identity is Christ. And that's the unity That's the identity and that's the unity that brings believers together. You see this affirmed many times. Verse 3, he says this, You have died, for you have died. Actually, go back to verse 1. You have been raised with Christ. There's the first point. Hey, there's your first point of identity. This is what you have to understand. This is what you're rooted in. You've been raised with Christ. Verse 3, he says, Your life, your life, your very life, your existence is hidden in him. It's hidden in him, with Christ. 
There's your identity. He keeps pointing to the identity. And then in verse 4, I love this. So then when Christ, who is your life, he's your very life, your breath, your existence. So when we as believers come together and we start to worship and fellowship and hang out and commune and talk to each other, we have to first understand the most important thing that Paul is laying down as a foundation is what brings us together, what unifies us as a group of people is not our traditions, it isn't our denomination, it isn't our organization, it's our unity in Christ Jesus himself. Isn't that true? You can talk to somebody that looks totally different than you. But the minute you find out they are a follower of Jesus Christ, man, you have an instant bond. They can be from a totally different generation than you. As soon as you know they're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an instant bond. You may have done time, gone to prison, done time in jail. The minute you find a police officer knows the Lord and you know the Lord, guess what? Regardless of your backgrounds, as dramatic as they may be, When you know that they love the Lord and you love the Lord, you have an instant bond. That's powerful. This is what we do as believers when we come together and we gather together. And sometimes we do this on a Sunday morning at a specific time. Sometimes we do it in a coffee shop. Sometimes we do it in people's homes where we gather together, where two or three are gathered, and we start to celebrate what God has done in our life. The unity that brings believers together is, in fact, that foremost and most primary thing, and that is who Christ is in their life. It ain't about the color of the carpet. Sorry, go blue, but still. Paul teaches us very clearly here his priority, is that we are unified together as a group of believers And what unifies us is our identity in Christ Jesus. He continues as he goes into this, and he tells us even in these first first few verses that we are to focus on things that are above in contrast to things that are on this earth. And that's really hard for us as humans to do sometimes. The reality is, is when we get together as believers, we're going to find that not all of us have the same likes. I mean, I've just made fun of Uh, the fact that I'm a Michigan fan. But I know that there are some in here, and I pray for you often, that are state fans. That's okay. (laughs) But the reality is we have differences, and that's okay, right? The, the, The priority is not the things that are on this earth. They are the things that are above. This is what Paul is trying to focus, and he continues as he's expounding this to the church, as he continues in verse 5, and he says to this, verse 5, put to death, therefore... What is earthly? Put it to death. That, those are not casual words you just read really buying. Oh, okay, thanks. Appreciate that, Paul. No, he's saying put to death. Get it out. Put it away. He uses these terms as he continues. And he identifies the very things that are earthly. And he says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality Impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Just a little side note there. That doesn't mean you just dabbled in them. Paul says you, you, you walked in them, but not only did you walk in them, you lived in them. This was your very life. Your existence was focused on the things that were of the earth. So you didn't just dabble with these things just a little bit. They were your very soul existence. 
And then as he continues, he says this, but in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. How does this connect with gathering? See, this is one of the things that God designed in the church, why he made the church people, not buildings, right? We don't go to church. We are the church, right? This is what we talk about when we talk about believers coming together. First and foremost, what connects us, what unites us is our identity in Christ and that this aspect of what Paul is laying down, the realities of what we do as individuals and as humans is we try to fight this old self that exists in us all the time. Many of you can relate to this. I know this because I relate to it. This is just a part of being a human and, and dealing with the human condition called sin. But I love that God gave us brothers and sisters so that we don't have to fight this fight alone. Right? This is what Paul is saying. Hey, put to death these earthly things. He identifies them very clearly. It isn't whether you like Michigan or Michigan State. Those are not earthly things. So we can still have our banter with that. Okay? That's okay. Those aren't described in here as earthly things. What is described as earthly things are things like anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, sexual immorality, the passions of the flesh, the impurity, evil desires, covetousness, which he calls idolatry. These things where we allow these things that are earthly and not thoughts and things that are above, and we allow that to come into our organizations, our, our, our relationships, and we, we cause those earthly things to become a greater priority than remembering what, what Paul is telling us here, that our identity is in Christ. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church where that has happened. It's not fun, and it's not pretty, and usually there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of hurt people, on whichever side that happens, this division that seeps in, and it's usually because we allow earthly things to take a higher priority than what Paul is teaching for us to think on things that are above. Spiritual things, spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge. And here Paul is, is walking them through, hey, be careful. Don't let these things take a priority in your life. Being warned, as we gather together as believers, we ought to reflect the character and behavior of Jesus Christ better than anybody else. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we don't have our own struggles and our own battles. But part of the reason God gave us people to gather together with is so that they can encourage us and admonish us and build us up to say, hey, keep going after Christ. Paul's very words to a, to a church, I believe it is in Ephesians, where he says, listen, imitate me. Wow. That's a bold word for Paul to say. Imitate me. But why does he say to imitate me? The very next line in that verse is he says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. Man, we should be able to have gatherings together as believers, as followers of Christ, where we can say to somebody, hey, listen, I went through that before. I, 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 know, I went to the Lord and I overcame that, whatever that is. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's malice. Maybe it's slander or obscene talk. Hey, listen, man, I overcame that. It, do what I did. This is how I overcame it. And it was obviously prayer through the Lord. But we ought to be encouraging each other and saying, hey, you can have that victory over that sin. You can have victory over that earthly thing. You can overcome it. We ought to be encouraging and lifting each other up and saying, hey, we can do this. We can reflect the character and behavior of God in our actions, in our life, and we show it to each other. 
as Paul continues, in fact, as he's talking about this, I, I am reminded of a passage in 1 Peter. Where Peter talks about something very similar. What Paul is really saying to the church in Colossians, and maybe you've heard this, that, that there's this aspect of followers of Jesus being a peculiar type of people. They're different. They act different. They talk different. They treat each other different than the rest of the world. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. So, the honor is for you who believe. Obviously, he's talking to the believers. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejects, rejected has come, has become the cornerstone. This is speaking of Jesus Christ and the fact that he is the cornerstone of our faith. And he says, in a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But then he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Some of your translations may say a peculiar people in this, in this verse. Jesus says, or, or Peter is referencing this aspect that, hey, God's called you as his own possession. You are a, a holy people. You are to be a holy people. And as he continues, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, here it is, that you may proclaim the excellencies or the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Listen, when a non-believer or somebody that doesn't know the Lord walks through the door, they ought to recognize that we are a little bit different. We can still have fun. We, we can joke about what team we like. But man, they ought to know that there's something different about the way we engage them when they walk through the door. They, they, they ought to notice, hey, man, there's something different about how they treat each other when they come through the door. They, they don't just fake it, if you will. They don't just put on a front, if you will. There's some real authentic care for each other in the congregation. They care for each other. They're building each other up. This is part of why we gather. We get to reflect, again, the character and the image of our Lord. Paul actually continues a little bit further as he goes into verse 10 of second, or Colossians chapter 3, and he really points this aspect out. Verse 10, he says this, and have, after we have put off the old self, we are identified as somebody different. In verse 10, he says this, we have put on the new self. This picture of being raised to walk in newness of life as we walk through baptisms last week even, how awesome that was to see. Here we see this aspect of we have put on this new self, look at this, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I would circle that verse. That's such a profound verse that Paul is saying here in this passage. When it means to put on the new self, what does it mean to walk in newness of life? What does it mean to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ? Why do we gather together uh, as, a, as a group of believers week after week after week and sometimes hopefully, hopefully more than one time a week? Why are we doing this? Why are we coming together? Because we need to be reminded and we need to have examples in our life of what it looks like to reflect the character and the image of our creator. I don't know if you've ever been in the world or how long or how much of the world you've been in. When I say that, I'm talking about how deep into sin you've ever been. 
Sometimes, sometimes, as believers, we have non-believer friends. We should, in fact, I shouldn't say sometimes, we should always have believers or non-believers that are our friends. And sometimes when we go into the world that is hard and difficult, and sometimes we get the muck on us, do we not? That can be a whole variety of things. It could be dealing with depression, it could be dealing with anger, it could be dealing with broken homes, you name it. We are going into the world as a light in the world of darkness, and we are trying to shine. Sometimes the muck gets on us. Sometimes it's tough. It's hard. It's lonely. You feel all by yourself. Like no one knows what I'm going through. No one knows the circumstances that I'm trying to deal with and and be an example for Christ. Listen, this is why we gather together. Hopefully you have people in your life, especially in the church, that you can get together and say, hey, listen, I really need your help praying for me in this matter. I'm, I'm dealing with this. I'm trying to reach this person. I'm trying to be a light in this world. It could be your workplace. It could be your, your neighborhood. This is why we gather together as God's people. We are meant to encourage and build each other up. We're, we're gathering together, and as Paul says here, we are designed as a body of believers to reflect the character and the very image of our creator, the character and behavior of God himself. And Paul goes in And he identifies what this image looks like. Verse 11. He says here there is no Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian. Scythian. Slave. Free. But he says but Christ is all and in all. Again he's rooting us back to what he laid down in the very first few verses. Our identity. Man, if I could say this, and I don't mean to offend anybody as I say this, but if I could say this in modern terms, if I could say this in a way that maybe affects us, we read those words and we go, yeah, I I don't know if anybody here is Greek or Jew, that doesn't really bother me, that doesn't really affect me, it's not really a priority. Maybe you don't relate to this aspect of barbarian or Scythian, Sicilian, but I want to put this in terms that maybe we do relate to. When it comes to gathering and when it comes to the church, our priorities, our identity. Paul may have wrote this, this passage in modern terms like this. And I'm not trying to add words to Paul's letter, so please don't misunderstand what I'm doing. He might have said it like this. Here there is no Democrat or Republican. There's no rich or poor. There's no church member or non-church member. Now that doesn't mean we don't celebrate the fact that we have believers in our church that's not what that's talking about but we don't make it a priority and treat church members different than we treat non-church members that's why we don't have membership you either love the lord or you don't period you either identify with christ or you don't period and if you don't identify with christ we want to love you and show you his character and his behavior and show you how good he is so that you do become a child of god He might say something like this. It doesn't matter if you're tattooed or not tattooed. It doesn't matter if you have piercings or no piercings. It doesn't matter if you've done time or you haven't done time. This this might be how Paul would have worded it a little bit different for us to hear and maybe make sense of what he's saying. Because what identifies us all is this very fact that Christ is in us. That is what brings us together. That's the unity. 
That's what the image bearing of the creator looks like as we, we reflect his character regardless of our previous sin, which we all walked in. As Paul continues, he says this, none of this matters. Christ is in all. This is the main thing. He then says, put on then as God's chosen ones. You might even say as God's children. Holy children. As God's beloved children. He says to put on compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. I love those words. These are examples of the fruit of the Spirit. But one that often gets missed in this line is this word meekness. I like the word meekness. Especially after I studied it. See, meekness is this idea that you have all the authority, all the power, maybe even all the resources to condemn somebody, but you choose not to. The best image I can do of this is Christ himself. Christ sat in heaven. He had all authority. He had all power. He had all the resources to condemn us. But what did he do? What did he do? He, he didn't hang on and grasp and hold on to heaven as though it was something to hang on to. He made himself lowly as a servant. And he walked down and he came down to earth and he said, hey, I love you. I have all the authority and the power. I could destroy anybody right now. But I'd rather, I'd rather set aside all of that. This is meekness. And I'd rather walk alongside of you and show you that I actually care for you. I actually love you. Each and every one of you. He doesn't set himself higher in this position, though he deserves it, though he's rightfully uh, in the position to have it all. This is meekness. This is the character of our image and the image of our creator. Where though, though we might be walking right, and though we might understand the truth of God's word, when someone comes in that maybe isn't right where we're at, we don't treat ourselves as somebody that's higher. We walk in meekness and we come alongside of them and say, hey, We can do this. We can do this together. I've walked in those roads before. I've been there before. I know how you can have victory, and I want you to have victory. Let's do this. This is this aspect, and all these other characters kind of surround this very idea, being patient. Listen, I know you state fans are upset that I'm a Michigan fan. Just have patience with me, okay? (laughs) No, it's true, though. Listen, the reality is we're not going to all agree on everything. Right? We're not going to all agree on everything. And so that requires us to reflect the character and behavior of God in all that we do, especially in our gatherings as we come together. Having patience with one another is such an important aspect of reflecting the character and behavior of God. Walking in humility, compassionate hearts. Man, may, I don't know everything in everybody's life, but maybe one of you knows somebody else that's struggling with something. That's where this compassionate heart, the desire of followers and believers coming together, hopefully more than once a week, but at least once a week coming together and saying, hey, listen, I care about you. I know you're going through this. What can I do to help? What can I do to make your life a little easier? Can I, and maybe all you can do is say, hey, can I, can I commit to just praying for you? And that's all it takes. And that's just a simple thing that anybody can do for somebody else in the church. And Paul continues as he goes through this. I love this. He says, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. Just as, again, who are we, whose character and whose behavior are we reflecting? 
Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Right? This is what Paul is laying down. We put on Christ. This is what it means to take on the gospel, to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We, we put on Christ. We live. Our life is solely to reflect Christ in all that we do, in every way that we interact with each other and other people. Which means we have to deal with the old self that wants to keep creeping up in our lives, that keeps wanting to take its hold on us. Anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, the desires of the flesh, if you will, the sinful nature. All these things creep up on us. we got to put those things to death. Not just some of them, all of them. And our desire as we gather together as believers is that we are doing everything we can to reflect the creator, the image of the creator, his character, his behavior. His compassionate heart, his patience, his meekness, his humility, and yes, his forgiveness. So state fans, I'm really sorry. I'm a go blue guy. Forgive me. Like I'm just making light of that, but that's really the truth, right? If you offend somebody or somebody has offended you, Matthew 18 tells us we're to go and talk and have this conversation and, and, and engage in con- real, not fake, not surface real conversation say hey man you did this and it kind of bothered me our response if we are in the wrong is to say i'm sorry and if someone apologizes our response for the one that has been offended is to say you're forgiven just as christ has forgiven us we have done a lot of things wrong against god and we may have even done wrong against each other paul is telling us hey this is this is what binds us This is the unity of a believer. This is what it means to be a disciple. And this is why we gather together. So we don't just uh, play surface level church, if you will. We're real. We're genuine. We're authentic. We connect. We have purpose with each other. We have a mission for each other and, and to encourage and build each other up. And Paul goes into this as he continues. Verse 14. Above all, this is one of the greatest characters and attributes of God. Above all. Above all these things, put on love. Put on love. I love how Marshall loves to talk about God's character in love. It's one of the the things that he is often sharing, whether it's in his growth community or just in our conversations on Sunday. He's like, listen, this is an important aspect. We We can have all the words of wisdom and all the words of knowledge and say it all, but if we lack love, we sound like a noisy drum. And if there was a drum, I'd hit it. It's not pleasant to the ears, in other words. We, we can have all the charity in the world. This is 1 Corinthians 13. We can have all the charity. We can give and give and give, and we can do amazing things, humanitarianly speaking. But if we lack that one thing, the most important character and attribute of God, this aspect of love, we're given for nothing. It doesn't mean anything. I love how Paul brought, brings it back to the most essential character trait, the most essential behavior of our Lord and our Savior and the image of our Creator, and that is love. He continues in verse 14, he says, This is the very thing which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is in complete contrast to a noisy gong, <laughs> right? Harmony sounds good. It's different people, and I'm not a musician, so if I get this wrong, have patience with me. Offer me forgiveness. 
But my understanding of it is this. Really, you have different octaves, and they hit the same note perfectly. And it can come at different levels. Ladies can sing it. Men can sing it. They obviously have different sounds to their voice. But when they hit that perfect harmony, they are in line. They are in sync. And it sounds amazing. I love that image of harmony because it doesn't matter. Listen, we are all different. We are all unique. We have different backgrounds. We have different religious, uh, I could say, baggage that we carry. We all have these different things. But when we get in line and we start to remember our identity is in Christ and who we're reflecting is Christ, it really sounds beautiful. And it's the sound of harmony, unison, cohesion, and this is what Paul is teaching his believer, these believers in Colossians. And as he continues, and I love this, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ, this is an aspect of walking in harmony. Listen, it's not tenuous, it's not tension, it's not conflict, it's not constant fighting. There is peace. When someone walks through the door that doesn't know the Lord and he sees a group of people who are completely different, different age brackets, different financial statuses, different a lot of things. And they see that there is peace and unity in that body. You don't think that's going to be something they go, wow, that's unique. Different cultural backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, but yet here they are. They come together and they are in harmony. And they have peace. Here Paul continues and he says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. In one body. We are, as a body of believers, called to do this, what Paul is laying down. When we gather together, this is our aim. That we show love to one another. That we operate in peace. We forgive each other. We reflect the characters of God. We operate with patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, humility, and love. And as he continues, he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching, here's that word, and admonishing, building up, encouraging one another in all wisdom. I love that this isn't just a, a, a phrase in here for the pastor. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Yes, my job is to get up here and I preach and I speak what God's laid on my heart every week. But when you read this and you look at this, there's no mention of there being a pastor. He's telling the body of believers that the body of believers is to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That means that, that as you are in your, the word of God and as you are searching it out and as you are learning new things, guess what? As you come in to gather and you meet with your fellow believers, whether it's on a Sunday or in a growth community, you're like, hey, listen, you know what the Lord showed me in the word today? It's amazing. I love it when this happens. In fact, I don't mean to put him on the spot, but Rodney, he does our sound booth out here. He's going through... Genesis. It's a big 800 or 900 page book that he's reading. And he came to me and he showed me, hey, listen, I'm only in chapter one. But did you know this about the creation? <laughs> I had no idea. It's so awesome for me to see other believers in the word of God. He's like, dude, did you know this is what this is about? Man, I got excited because like, hey, first he's in the word, he's studying it, and he showed me something I had never seen before. We can do that to one another. Listen, if you're in God's word, which is what he's telling his people, this, this body of believer to do, hey, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Not earthly wisdom, spiritual wisdom. And then, of course, we see the parts that we often do in gatherings. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts to God. Why do we get together as believers? Why do we gather? Whether it's on a Sunday morning or a coffee shop with three or four other believers or in a growth community in someone's house, why do we do these things? So we can gather together and encourage, build up, reflect the character and behavior of God and be a reminder to each other, hey, this is what we're striving for. We can have victory over the things of this earth, the sinful nature that we have, And we are called as body of believers to encourage, to build up, to teach, to admonish, to build them up in the word of God, to sing praises and say, hallelujah, Lord, you've done something in my life this week. It's so awesome. We're not just singing songs because that's the routine of the schedule. When we sing songs, we're singing to a God who is alive. This goes back to what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't. See, when it's a person... When it's Jesus Christ, and you know what he's done in your life, and you know what he's done in your life this week, maybe even in the last hour, when you know what he's done, you can't help but be grateful and sing his praises and shout his name, as Paul says, singing spiritual songs. It's profound. That's why we gather together. Paul lays it down. We're meant to build each other up, and we're meant to encourage each other Remembering our identity in Christ, reflecting his very image as our maker. I love in verse 17, we'll end here, what Paul says. and said, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. That means if you are serving as a greeter in the door, maybe you're working in kids' ministry, Maybe you're up here singing or you're working the tech booth or maybe you're doing communion or you're doing security. Who knows? Wherever the Lord's called you to do, whatever it is that God's called you, maybe you come in and you just clean the the church during the week. Whatever you do, I love how Paul puts this. Whether it's in word, maybe you're just sitting there talking to somebody, you're not a part of any other team and you're just encouraging and talking to somebody in the pews right next to you. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, We do it in the name of the Lord Jesus because that's our priority. That's our focus. That's our identity. When you're greeting the door, you're doing it to honor Jesus. If you're making coffee, that might seem like a very insignificant task, but you're doing it to honor Jesus. If you're cleaning the building, you're doing that to honor Jesus. Whether you're in the tech booth, whether you're singing in the band, whether you're working with kids in nursery, sometimes that can be a lot of work. Kids are kids, but you're not doing it for any other reason than to give honor and glory to who Jesus is in your own life. Listen, we're going to take communion here, so if you've been asked to to distribute that, I want to ask you to go ahead and get prepared for that. Uh, Guys can get ready to distribute communion. And so as we do that, I think this is an appropriate time for us to observe communion, right? Remembering and reflecting the character and behavior of God, what he's done in our life, what he has changed in us. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us part of the aspect that we are to walk through and one of the things that we are to do when we take communion is to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So he says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Part of what we are doing this morning as we take communion is we are examining our lives. A, first and foremost, is my identity rooted in Christ? That's the most important thing. Secondly, excuse me, secondly, is there somebody in the room that maybe I need to go fix something with? Maybe I have slandered them or talked or had some obscene conversations and I I need to come up to somebody and say, listen, man, I'm really sorry. I did not mean to do that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? This is part of what the scripture tells us. We're not trying to be fake. We're not trying to be um, disingenuous. We want to be authentic and real as followers and believers in Jesus Christ. And some of that, that might make you feel uncomfortable. Like, hey, man, I said this the other day. I shouldn't have said it. I'm really bad. My bad. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And of course, we've walked through what Paul's laid down in Colossians 3. We are to offer that forgiveness, not hold grudges. And so today, as we take time to take communion, the band will come up here in a little bit, and they'll sing us a a verse. I want you to take that time as communion is distributed for you to take time to examine things in your life. So if the the ushers or those who are passing it out want to come out and just start distributing it, Nate, you guys can come up and and lead us in a a worship song. Take time to examine what what is being said by Paul in Colossians. Man, is my identity in Christ? Have I made that the most important thing? Have I killed everything else in my life? Is there sin in my life that I need to deal with? This putting to death aspect. Is that something that I need to do? The Lord is saying, deal with it, work through it, call on him, go to him. He's the answer. He is the one who is the the answer to our sin. He is the answer to our conflict. He is the answer to anything in our life. So as the, the band sings and as they prepare the communion as it's being passed, take some time and just think on the things that the Lord's asked you, that he has pricked your heart about. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the conviction of the Lord. Take it to heart. And uh, we will take communion in a little bit. Go ahead, Nate.